how do you even begin to preach the most famous psalm, the most beloved psalm of all? How do you even begin to preach, dare I say, the most famous passage in the entire Bible? Psalm 23 is our go-to psalm, isn't it? We preach it at funerals, we quote it at weddings, we put it in neatly framed pictures that we hang on our living room walls, we slap, slap it on our coffee mugs, and some people even get it tattooed on their bodies. We love Psalm 23. And it's not just disciples who love Psalm 23. Even unbelievers are familiar with Psalm 23. And some of them could probably even quote portions of Psalm 23 because they've heard it so much in pop culture, at funerals. So how do you even begin to preach Psalm 23? I mean, the pressure that is on me. It's like the bar is set so high. How do you even begin to preach Psalm 23. Well, here's how I will begin. I think I'll begin by reading part of a story by Stephen King. That's how I will begin a sermon on Psalm 23 in keeping with my quirky personality. I'll read some Stephen King to you. The story is titled Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, which was eventually, as most of you know, turned into the movie The Shawshank Redemption, one of the greatest movies ever. I'll take an amen for that. And in the story, the narrator, a prisoner named Red, is describing how one man just walked out of prison one day and left a trail of baseball lime behind him. I suppose the most famous case of all was that of Sid Netto. This goes back to 1958, and I guess it will never be topped. Sid was out lining the ball field for a Saturday intramural baseball game when the three o'clock inside whistle blew, signaling the shift change for the guards. The parking lot is just beyond the exercise yard on the other side of the electrically operated main gate. At three, the gate opens and the guards coming on duty and those going off mingle. There's a lot of back slapping and bully ragging, comparison of league bowling scores and the usual number of tired old ethnic jokes. Sid just trundled his lining machine right out through the gate, leaving a three-inch baseline all the way from third base in the exercise yard to the ditch on the far side of Route 6, where they found the machine overturned in a pile of lime. Don't ask me how he did it. He was dressed in his prison uniform. He stood six feet two, and he was billowing clouds of lime dust behind him. All I can figure is that it being Friday afternoon and all, the guards going off were so happy to be going off work and the guards coming on were so downhearted to be coming on that the members of the former group never got their heads out of the clouds and those in the latter never got their noses off their shoe tops. And old Sid Netto just sort of slipped out between the two. So far as I know, Sid is still at large. Over the years, Andy Dufresne and I had a good many laughs over Sid Netto's great escape. And when we heard about that airline hijacking for ransom, the one where the guy parachuted from the back door of the airplane, Andy swore up and down that D.B. Cooper's real name was Sid Netto. And he probably had a pocket full of baseline lime in his pocket for good luck, Andy said. 
I began this sermon on the most famous passage in the Bible, on the most beloved psalm in the Bible. I begin it that way because that's how Psalm 23 begins. Psalm 23 comes out swinging with both law and gospel. Just as those guards in Stephen King's story had their head in, their, in the clouds, they were so excited to be leaving work, we too get excited about the gospel that's seeping out of this psalm. And just as those guards in Stephen King's story were downtrodden because they were having to go to work, we too become downtrodden as we get exposed by God's law. And that's what we see in verse 1 of Psalm 23. There's gospel and there's law. There's bad news and there's good news. In fact, that's what we'll see all throughout Psalm 23. And the big idea that's seeping out of Psalm 23 is this. You can't outrun grace because grace runs faster. Psalm 23 is all about the relentless grace of God that hunts down sinners like you and me. And that's who we are. This is a psalm about broken people, sinful people, worshiping a holy God. It's about the amazing grace of God that chases down failures like us. So Psalm 23 will remind us that the Lord is undefeated even by our most heinous and grievous sins. Isn't that good news? The Lord is undefeated even by our most heinous and grievous sins. And it is only those who know that they have committed heinous and grievous sins, only those who know that they have seriously erred and strayed from God's ways, it's only those people who feel most gently the warmth of God's shepherding arms around them. It's only those kind of wayward people who know themselves as sinners who know for sure that they are the lambs of his flock. And that's the message of Psalm 23. God will never let you out of his faithful care. He will protect you, he will provide for you, he will guide you, and he welcomes you into his presence. Oh, you may run, you may try to run from him. You may try to run from his presence, but his grace is faster. You can't outrun grace because grace is faster than you. So freedom comes when you learn to give up because God will never let you go. He will never stop pursuing you. His love is just that persistent. That's what Psalm 23 wants to tell you today. Now look at verses one through three and hear the word of this persistent God. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right off the bat, we get hit with law 
and gospel. We get exposed as needy sinners and then we hear the good news that God is our shepherd. And how beautiful and how comforting is that word Shepherd. Martin Luther said this in this single word, shepherd, there are gathered together in one almost all the good and comforting things that we praise in God. All the good and comforting things that we know about God, all the good and comforting things that we sing about God, that we love about God, they're all captured in that one word, shepherd. The shepherd cares. For his flock. The shepherd protects his flock. The shepherd guides his flock. The shepherd feeds his flock. The shepherd leads his flock to places of rest and peace. And this is what Jesus does for us. He is the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. John 10, 11. That is the gospel. That's the gospel that comforts the hearts of broken, weak, and wayward sheep. And our hearts need to be comforted because we are sheep. Our hearts need to be comforted because God's law exposes us as needy sinners, and it's the word sheep that exposes us. The word sheep exposes us as weak, needy sinners who need a shepherd. Listen, I know when we think of sheep, we like to think of some cute little plush toy or some precious moments Bible sheep. But that is nowhere on the mind of Psalm 23. If David saw a picture of the sheep that grace our children's Bibles, he would be confused because we really don't know what sheep are like. We have made them into these cute little precious moments creatures. Unlike most of us, Psalm 23 was familiar with sheep. David was familiar with sheep and he chose this metaphor for a very good reason because we are prone to wander just like sheep. And if we are sheep, then guess what, Grace? We are as dumb as a box of rocks. If we are sheep, and God's word says it is, and it doesn't lie, then we are as dumb as a box of rocks. David chose this image because everyone in ancient Israel, everyone in the ancient Near East even, was familiar with sheep because there were sheep everywhere. Everyone knew what sheep were like. And in case you were unfamiliar with sheep, it's not a nice thing to be likened to a sheep. This is not a compliment. David, calling you a sheep, you should not respond to him this way. Oh, David, you're so sweet. That's so precious of you. So kind of you to say that dear thing. So kind of you to call me a precious lamb. Bless your heart, David. You don't respond to David that way. He called you a sheep, and that's not a compliment. By saying that we have a shepherd, David is telling us that we are sheep. David is throwing us under the proverbial bus. He is stripping us of all of our self-righteousness and exposing us for who we are. So please, when you read Sheep, don't think bleach white, fluffy animals that you can win at the fair if you throw enough rings around some bottles. Sheep are messy, sheep are dirty, and sheep are stupid. We are 
messy. We are dirty and we are stupid. Bless our hearts. Professor John Holbert describes sheep this way. Sheep need constant watching as they stick their ever hungry snouts into the grass below them or into the hinder parts of the sheep in front of them and wander without a thought up and down the land, eating and defecating and straying up dangerous hillsides and down into rushing waters, foolishly risking fleece and mutton again and again to the utter frustration and consternation of the shepherd who must be constantly vigilant lest another of her charges, lest another of her charges drown or fall, or be snatched away by the lurking predators of the forest and vale. Shepherding is no pleasant walk in the dog park. It is hard, dusty, smelly, constant labor. And if I am a sheep, I am lost without a shepherd. That's us, Grace. We're stinky, we're dirty, we're messy, we're dumb sheep, and we are lost without a shepherd. So please understand this. The moment that you declare, the Lord is my shepherd. The moment that you sing, the Lord is my shepherd. In that moment, you are saying, you are declaring to the world that you are desperate. Desperate for outside help. Desperate for rescue. Desperate for care. Desperate for guidance. Desperate for protection. Desperate for correction. And desperate for for nourishment. So please take the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, down from your neatly framed pictures. Remove it from your coffee cups. Don't highlight it in the Bible unless you are willing to come to grips with what it means that you are desperate, that you are weak, that you are messy, that you are prone to wander and prone to drift, that you are prone to run from the God that you claim to love. If you can come to grips with the truth that saying the Lord is my shepherd means you are weak, you're a needy sinner who is prone to run from God, then you are a prime candidate to receive the grace of God. And so David rightfully calls us sheep because sheep are messy and sheep are dirty and sheep are filthy and sheep stray and sheep get lost. Therefore, since the church is made up of sheep, that means it's gonna get messy and it's gonna get dirty around here. You have to understand that about grace. You have to understand that about this church. This place is full of sheep, and therefore it is going to be messy. It is going to be dirty. It is going to be filthy. It is not going to be a clean place. Sinners bring their junk with them wherever they go. So don't have ideas about cleaning up the church, because as long as you and I are around, this place is not going to be clean. It's going to be messy. See, we don't need Clorox bleach around here. What we need is a savior, a savior whose blood alone washes us, whose blood alone cleanses us from all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our messiness. For the messy sheep here at Grace that are prone to wander, we need a shepherd, a shepherd who invites sinners like us into his presence. 
And so we stand exposed by Psalm 23 this morning. That dirty, rotten, scoundrel David just went and pulled a fast one on us, didn't he? He went and exposed all of us. We're sinners. We're messy sheep. But this passage comes along and puts the spotlight on Jesus, the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. This passage reminds wayward sheep like us that you can't outrun grace because grace runs faster. Just as those guards in Stephen King's story were downtrodden because they had to go to work, we too become downtrodden as we are exposed by God's law. But just as those guards in Stephen King's story had their head in the clouds and were excited about leaving work, we too get excited about the gospel that's seeping out of this psalm. And the good news that lifts our heads is this. You can't outrun Jesus. You can't run away and you can't get away from the good shepherd. He's just too fast. He's too caring. He's too strong. And he's too loving to let you go off and get lost. Grace always chases us down and rescues us. Our shepherd will not let us drift. Even though we are wayward sheep, we have a shepherd who keeps us. He calls us with his voice and we listen. As Jesus said in John 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And what is his voice? It's the gospel. The voice of our shepherd is the gospel. Martin Luther said, the voice of this shepherd with which he speaks to his sheep and calls them is the holy gospel. The pasture with which Christ feeds his sheep is also the dear gospel by which our souls are fed and strengthened, preserved from error, comforted in all temptations and sorrows, protected against the devil's wile and power, and finally saved from all need. Understand, Jesus is the active one here. He is the one who seeks us out. He is the one who carries us and guides us and protects us. He is the one who lays his life down for the sheep. He is the one who keeps us from perishing. He is the one, as he said in John 10, 28 and 29, he is the one who won't let anyone snatch us out of his hand. And all that we can do as sheep is lend our ears and hear the voice of our shepherd and follow him. The gospel is the voice of our shepherd, Jesus. And in the gospel, he demands nothing of us. God simply announces the good news that he has given us, poor sinners, wayward sheep, he has given us his son to be our shepherd. And our shepherd will seek us out and bring us to the green grass and the fresh water that restore our souls. The green pastures and the still waters are the gospel, the good news that we are called to return to daily, moment by moment.
And that's what David means when he says that the Lord restores his soul. The Hebrew word here for restore is the Hebrew word shuv, which means to turn, to return, or to turn back. So David is saying that the Lord returns David back to the green pastures and the fresh waters of the gospel. The Lord leads his wayward sheep to the green pastures and to the still waters. He calls to them with his gospel voice voice and we follow him. In other words, what David is saying is that the gospel recalibrates us and it refreshes us. And because Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is David's shepherd, David says in verse one, he never lacks anything. He finds rest and he finds refreshment in the gospel. He returns to the Lord every time he strays because his shepherd brings him back. And Yahweh, the shepherd, David says in verse three, leads him in paths of righteousness. This means that the Lord leads us, leads David in the right paths, in the right ways, in the proper paths. The shepherd knows what path to lead his sheep down. This is very important for us to understand because we all try and direct our own paths because we're sheep. But remember, sheep are dumb. We don't know what the right way is or isn't because we're stupid. But we have a shepherd, Jesus, who leads us in the right paths and that means that you can trust him. He has you where you are because he knows the right ways. He knows the right paths. Maybe some of you need to hear this morning a word from Charles Spurgeon because you're wondering, am I on the right path? Spurgeon said this, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, Jesus' love would have put you there. Your shepherd knows what he is doing where he has led you, where he is leading you. You can trust him. If any other path had been better, Jesus would have led you there. His love would have led you there. And his love just might lead you where you don't want to go, to a dark place, to the valley of the shadow of death. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now you might be thinking, but Benji, you just said that Jesus is leading us. So how do we end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Well, there are two possible answers. Number one, God might lead you there. Jesus may lead you to some dark places where you have to learn to trust him. Jesus might lead you to the valley of the shadow of death. You have to learn to trust that the good shepherd is serious about his first name, good. He is the good shepherd. He might lead you to a dark place. He might lead you to the valley of the shadow of death, but he will work it for your good and he will work it for his glory, for his namesake. So one, God might lead you there. Secondly, you may have ended up in the valley because you're a sheep, which means you're dumb. So you might have wandered to the dark place. 
Because we are all sheep, we are all prone to wonder. We are prone to some very ridiculous and continual behaviors that lead us into the valley and cause our shepherd to pull us in, to keep us in line, or to even whack us on the behind. See, left to our own devices, we will wander down into the dark valleys, we will drown in the rivers, we will get stuck in the hard places, and that's why David says that our shepherd has a rod and a staff that provide comfort. The rod was this short weapon, it was like a club that the shepherd would use to beat off predators and protect his sheep. That means then that Jesus will use his club to beat off our enemies. Our shepherd is a warrior who swings a club. What greater image do we need in our country right now with everything that's happened? What greater image do we need that we have a shepherd who wields a club on behalf of his sheep? Everybody's getting worked up about what's going on. We have a shepherd who is a warrior who swings a club to protect his sheep. Please do not picture Jesus as this weak, frail, metrosexual with manicured nails and perfect hair and soft hands that smell like some lotion from bath and body works. Our shepherd is a warrior. Never forget that. When you watch the news, when you get on the internet, when you read the newspaper, you might want to keep Psalm 23 out with you to remind you that you have a shepherd who is protecting you, and he might already be getting ready to swing his club. He wields a rod, David says, and he uses the staff. The staff was used by the shepherd to snag trapped Sheep, and it was used to redirect misbehaving sheep in the herd. Sometimes Christians start misbehaving. The Lord has to use his staff to bring them in. Staff was used for saving, the staff was used for correcting and keeping sheep in line. And what is the rod and staff but the word of God? In short, it's the gospel. And this is what sheep need, it's what we need. And this is why Peter calls on elders and pastors in 1 Peter 5 to shepherd the flock of God with the gospel. We need to hear the gospel preached here every week at Grace. Like Martin Luther said, in spiritual shepherding, that is in the kingdom of Christ, one should therefore preach to the sheep of Christ, not the law of God, much less the ordinances of man, but the gospel For through the gospel, Christ's sheep obtain strength in their faith, rest in their hearts, and comfort in all kinds of anxieties and perils of death. Those who preach this way conduct the office of spiritual shepherd properly. They feed the sheep of Christ in a green pasture, lead them to the fresh water, restore their souls, keeping them from being led astray, and they comfort them with Christ's rod and staff. It's God's word that comforts our hearts. It's God's word that feeds us. It's God's word that gives us rest. It's God's word that restores our souls, which is why we need to be reading and consuming and memorizing and meditating upon God's word. And it's God's word that protects us when we are in the valley of the shadow of death. It's the gospel that comforts our hearts when we find ourselves in the dark places of life even if we have been led there by our shepherd. 
Did you notice how David spoke of the Lord in the third person in verses one through three? It was he, this, he makes me lie down. He leads me, he restores me. It's he, he, he. But then in verse four, David says, you are with me. There's intimacy now in verse four. Where does David say this to the Lord? What's the context where David becomes more intimate with God? Where does the intimacy with God come in? It's in the green pastures and beside, is is it in the green pastures and beside the still waters? No, David doesn't make it intimate until he is in the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because it's in the valley that we see God on a deeper level. It's when we are in the darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, that intimacy with God goes on steroids. Something to think about if you wonder if the good shepherd is really good for leading you to the valley. Our intimacy with God goes on steroids when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Something to think about if you think, can the good shepherd really be good for leading me to this place? Maybe it's in that place you'll become more intimate with your shepherd than you ever have been. Isn't that good of him? And that intimacy continues in the last two verses. Look at verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you understand how good our shepherd is? He is so protective. He is so caring that we can eat a meal in the presence of our enemies. As wolves gather around us, we can rest and relax and enjoy a good meal because we know that Jesus will not let anything happen to us. See, our enemies are forced to sit and watch us enjoy a meal and they can do nothing about it because our shepherd will not let them touch us. And if we can enjoy a feast in the presence of our enemies who want to feast on us like zombies, is there any place, is there any circumstance, is there any situation that is beyond our shepherd's care? Is there any place, any circumstance, any situation in life that is beyond our shepherd's care if he will let us eat a meal in peace in the presence of our enemies? If you can eat and relax in peace while people who want to kill you surround you, is there any other situation that our shepherd could not sustain us? I think you can file that truth under good news. And it's good news that puts fat on David's bones. The Hebrew word here for anoint, when it says you anoint my head with oil in verse five, is from the Hebrew verb to be fat. So here it's in the causative stem, the PL stem in the Hebrew. It's a a causative stem. It's a lot of grammar for you. Bear with me. But it means to make fat, to anoint, to make fat. So when David says, you anoint my head with oil, he's saying, you make my head fat. He's, He's talking about this symbol of festivity and joy. To make fat means that something was causing you Joy, something was causing gladness. 
something or someone was refreshing you. The same word is used in Proverbs 15, 30, where it says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. The word refreshes here in the ESV translation of Proverbs 15, 30 is the same word that David uses here in Psalm 23. And it literally is good news puts fat on the bones. Good news makes fat the bones. In other words, good news brings joy to the whole person. So in Psalm 23, David is saying that God is the source of his joy. God is the one who is causing him to have joy. God is the one who is putting fat on his bones. God is the one who satisfies him above all things. God is the one who makes his cup run over. In other words, David's joy knows no bounds. In other words, David's joy is fat. And David will further explain why his joy is overflowing in verse six. It's because he, a wayward sheep, a dirty sheep, a stupid sheep who strays, one, he is welcome in God's presence, and two, because God's grace is stalking him every day of his life. God's goodness and steadfast love have been stalking David, that wayward sheep, his whole life. Look at verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In verse six, David is telling us that the goodness of the good shepherd follows his people all of their days and his mercy does too. The word mercy here is the Hebrew word hesed, which if you're in the Old Testament, it pops up everywhere. You've heard me say this before. Hesed means God's steadfast love, his, his loyal love, his covenant love. And you've heard me many times say that it's best defined by Sally Lloyd-Jones in her children's book, The Jesus Storybook Bible. Hesed is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. And David says here that God's goodness and God's love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love, follow him all the days of his life. In fact, David uses a Hebrew word here for follow that is used elsewhere of armies pursuing their enemies. The normal context of this word follow is the battlefield. Now, that's where it normally appears in the Old Testament. So it's used of one army pursuing another army and hunting them down on the battlefield, stalking them, chasing them. And we would expect David's enemies to be the ones who are pursuing him. But here he says it's God's goodness and it's God's steadfast love that are stalking him like an army. The good shepherd pursues and chases down David like an army. In other words... You can't outrun grace because grace runs faster. So look over your shoulder today. God is pursuing you. God is stalking you. Jesus is chasing you. Grace is running after you to envelop you in its arms. And what is grace? It's none other than Jesus, your good shepherd. The good shepherd is chasing you down today so that he can wrap you in his arms. All the days of your life, Jesus is pursuing you, chasing you down in order to shower you with his love. 
Maybe there's someone here today who's running from God and they know it. God's saying to you today, my grace is faster. Give up, turn around, and let me shower you with my love. Oh, it doesn't matter what you've done. You're welcome in his presence, Christian. That's what Psalm 23 is about. I think we have missed the entire point of the psalm for sure. We've made Psalm 23 a funeral psalm. We've made it a psalm to comfort us at funerals. And it's okay to turn to Psalm 23 at a funeral to find comfort. I'm not saying that you can't. But Psalm 23 was not written to comfort people about where they go or where their loved ones go when they die. Psalm 23 was written to comfort people while they are alive. Psalm 23 was written for wayward sheep, for sheep who are dumb and do dumb, stupid things, for sheep who drift from their shepherd, for sheep who choose sin all the time. Psalm 23 is an every day I blow it, every day I need grace and mercy psalm. Psalm 23 is written for people like you and me to tell us that even though we are wandering sheep, even though we are dirty sheep, the good shepherd laid down his life for us so that we can come into his presence. And that's why David says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Hebrew word translated here as dwell is the same word that David used in verse three when he said the Lord restores his soul. It's the Hebrew word shuv, which means to turn, to return, to turn back. So David is saying that he will return to the house of the Lord, not forever. That's why we preach Psalm 23 at funerals because we see the word forever and we think heaven and eternity. David's saying, I will not return to the house of the Lord forever. Literally in Hebrew, it's for the length of my days on earth. There's probably a footnote in your Bible that talks about those things. A better translation would be, I shall return to dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. There's a footnote in your Bible, a bet, for both of those verses, those words. David's not saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, he will. He believes that when he dies, he will be with God. But what he's saying is that, I will return, I will keep returning, I will keep coming back to the house of the Lord to dwell there, to stay there, to live there all of my days, every single day until I die. What does he mean when he says he will return to dwell in the house of the Lord all of his days? He means that even though he is a sinner, he is welcome into God's presence. He means that his sin is no match for God's grace. He means that the Lord is undefeated even by his most heinous and grievous sins. Psalm 23 is a psalm about being a broken sinner, about being a failure, about being a wandering sheep, about being a dirty sheep, about being a smelly sheep. And in spite of all that, we return to Jesus time and time again, and he welcomes us into his presence. Psalm 23 is not a funeral psalm. Psalm 23 is an every single day I blow it, every single day I need grace and mercy psalm. Psalm 23 is written for people like you and me to tell us that even though we're wandering sheep, even though we're dirty sheep, the good shepherd laid his life down for us so that we can come back into his presence. Day after day, every day, moment after moment, all of our days, even when we blow it big time. Have you personalized Psalm 23? Can you say today Jesus is 
my shepherd, like David says in verse one? Is Jesus your good shepherd? Will you turn from your sin today? We repent and trust in the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. Look over your shoulder. The good shepherd is pursuing you today. And that's the good news of the gospel. Even when we run and hide, his grace is chasing us down. Grace is like Sid Netto in the story Rita Hayworth in Shawshank Redemption. Sid just trundled his lining machine right out through the gate, leaving a three-inch baseline all the way from third base in the exercise yard to the ditch on the far side of Route 6 where they found the machine overturned in a pile of lime. Don't ask me how he did it. He was dressed in his prison uniform. He stood six feet two and he was billowing clouds of lime dust behind him. All I can figure is that it being Friday afternoon and all, the guards going off were so happy to be going off and the guards coming on were so downhearted to be coming on that the members of the former group never got their heads out of the clouds and those in the latter never got their noses off their shoe tops. And old Sid Netto just sort of slipped out between the two. So far as I know, Sid is still at large. Over the years, Andy Dufresne and I had a good many laughs over Sid Netto's great escape. And when we heard about that airline hijacking for ransom, the one where the guy parachuted from the back door of the airplane, Andy swore up and down that D.B. Cooper's real name was Sid Netto. And he probably had a pocket full of baseline lime in his pocket for good luck, Andy said. Grace, God's grace, is like Sid Netto's lining machine that he used to put the lines down on the baseball field. Grace follows and pursues us all the days of our lives. Just like Sid Netto left a trail of lime dust behind him, at the end of your life, Christian, you'll be able to say, and people will be able to say at your funeral, that God's goodness and mercy stalked you your whole life. Whether you were in the green pastures or by the still waters, or in the valley of the shadow of death, God's goodness and mercy were stalking you, leaving a trail of grace. And so for all of eternity, you'll be able to look over your life and see a trail of grace lime dust behind you. And he probably had a pocket full of baseline lime in his pocket for good luck, Andy said. Psalm 23 is that pocket full of baseline lime that you can keep in your pocket. Not for good luck, but to remind you that you have a shepherd, a good shepherd, a good shepherd who laid his life down for you. You can't outrun grace because grace runs faster. And in case you don't believe me, maybe Jesus can convince you that he is never gonna let you go because he said this in John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, the good shepherd. Thank you that Jesus laid his life down for dirty, rotten scoundrels and sheep like us. It is good news, Father, 
We sin all the time and we know it. And you don't remember it. And that's just good news to this wayward sheep. How merciful and how gracious you are that you would give us to your son because he laid his life down for us. What good news that no one will snatch us out of his hand. No one will snatch us out of your hand. What good news that grace is faster than us. Impress that deep upon our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.